Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 187, Things Fall Apart So Hard. This week we're discussing season 6, episode 18 of Buffy, Entropy, and season 3, episode 7 of Battlestar Galactica, A Measure of Salvation. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so we are starting with Buffy. Yay! (laughs) After several weeks away. Not that I don't love Angel, but I'm happy to be back with Buffy. (laughs) Sure. Um, Just because it kind of left us on, not a cliffhanger, but like a big a big kind of intense episode and then we didn't really get to see any like resolution afterwards of like, you know, right. Everybody's reactions and everything. Um, so yeah, nice to be back with them. Um, so I don't quite want to start with Buffy herself. Um, I think we'll start with, uh, the geek trio, even though we'll probably reference them later because, even though they don't really meet the other characters, they're kind of present through this episode Mm -hmm. through a couple different, you know, like they're kind of lurking in the background and everything. Um, But we do get some stuff of the three of them. Um, So uh, some of it with kind of uh, somewhat like cryptic um, references to what, is a plan that is unfolding that we don't really get the real details of here. Um, We can kind of see them working towards something. Um, So they're like chasing down vampires on like little makeshift lances. Like they're kind of like jousting them with these sort of, you know, uh, stakes and everything to get this disc that they need. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we see, Jonathan kind of mixing something together and we don't quite know what it is, but they're, they're working towards some new plan, um, which will, you know, get them apparently like whatever they need, like whatever the plan is, this is the kind of like final plan to end all plans. That's going to solve all of our problems and give us all the control that we've been working towards. Um, and, Jonathan in particular seems like he's really doing this at this point in order to get out of there. Like, you know, all right, this is the the last mission. This is the last hurrah. And then once we have everything, you know, taken care of and I have whatever power or control that I want, I'll have the leverage to, you know, finally get out from under Warren's, influence and everything um Mm -hmm. which is making the others nervous you know i liked um andrew's line about how he looks like when i highlighted his babylon 5 novels and it's like not just that oh he looks like that time that i like screwed him over and he was upset with me but it's the look he got on his face right before he told his mom like this is like the shifty look where he's starting to get ready to rat them out, you know, like he's getting to the point where he would rather just tell someone and 
bring in some other authority and let the chips fall where they may, but he's not going to let them continue to just have their way and do whatever they want. Um, so he's not quite to that point, but it sounds like he's kind of getting there. And if things keep getting, you know, further and further out of control, he might get to the point where he would, you know, go against the group and, you know, bring in some other sort of big guns or whatever. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, right. We sort of see his, I don't know, shiftiness or, you know, uh, uh, not insecurity, but kind of indecision, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, like it's key that like Warren and Andrew see it as well. So, Mm-hmm. You know, there's definitely, um, you know, definitely some stuff going on there. Uh, I, I And I have to, so I just, I need to call out to like the Indiana Jones references, right? So mm-hmm. like uh, you have him, so they end up like using this disc or whatever to highlight a spot on the map, similar to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, mm-hmm. And then you also get Warren calling him Short Round, which is um, what a... Uh, uh, Harrison Ford calls, I forget the the character's name, but the boy, right? Right. In, uh, is that in the Temple of Doom? I think it's Doom Temple of or, Doom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one where they eat the monkey brains. That's all I remember. Right. <laughs> monkey brains. Um, yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, just some funny stuff there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, we don't get, you know, I mean, the disc is kind of a MacGuffin, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's a thing to kind of get them right. to the next step to whatever it is they're trying to get to. Like Mm -hmm. we still don't really know what their end game is. Just that they've kind of been working on something for a little while now. Like Mm -hmm. they have a longer, like initially it was just like, Oh, you know, get some money, get girls and have fun. And now they're actually kind of in that zone of, you know, being evil and like taking over Sunnydale and you know next step the world or whatever Mm -hmm. you know so um and and like in that like like it's interesting because like on the one hand uh you have Warren you know uh sort of dismissing Jonathan uh as far as, you know, Jonathan saying like, you know, this is the last thing, you know, it's, it's, there's always like, that's what always brings the dissension among the thieves, right? It's like one last, uh, heist and then we'll be Mm -hmm. done with each other. And there's always, there's always one last heist, you know, to to Mm -hmm. pin it down. And that's kind of like, like Warren does sort of say to Andrew, like, okay, we won't need him anymore after this. But like, there's also that sense of like, like he's not just going to let Jonathan walk away. Right. Right. What, whatever, right. whatever that means. And I mean, right. You, they've, they've already killed someone. So like, right. No, it does. It does sound like a kind of, Oh, I'm, I'm going to take care of it. You know, kind of situation. Yeah. You know, um, like we're done with him, but that doesn't necessarily mean good things for, right. that doesn't mean what Jonathan wants it to mean of, right. it doesn't mean we this can, is my last thing and then i'm gonna go yeah i'll go on our merry yeah like we'll yeah, yeah. we'll see what ends up happening i guess but mm-hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. Like, like Warren has kind of put too much time and effort and, and seems a little too, uh, you know, sociopathic to Mm -hmm. just sort of have the risk of Jonathan out there. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, uh, did you have anything else for them? Because I I don't know that we've got a ton else that, or at least anything that we wouldn't cover, like sort of in the normal course of the rest of the story. But um, Um, no, I mean, there were little character things like, you know, I kind of certain lines jumped out like, um, uh, you know, even little hints of Jonathan's rebellion of like, well, if something goes wrong, we're going to be deader than an ex-girlfriend. Like, you know, just the fact that he's getting not brave enough to stand up to Warren really, but like kind of his patience is getting where he'll throw in those digs and those snide comments. And that's like, again, like he's provoking him and like, you know, he's getting bolder about, you know, voicing his, his concerns and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, Andrew's line too, when he sees Spike and Anya and says, he's so cool. And uh, the girl's hot too, (laughs) you know, like that kind of like, sure. uh, The, the fine line between that kind of in quotes, toxic masculinity and kind of like almost like latent homoerotic tendencies, you know, stuff of like, how much are these people overcompensating for whatever, for, you know, things that are their insecurities or things that are, you know, not traditionally tough and masculine or whatever. Um, Like he kind of like says that and then catches himself and it's like, well, yeah, I guess Anya is all right too. Um, But really Spike is the focal point of the scene and everything. Yeah. Um, so like little character beats like that and stuff kind of jumped out to me, but, um, but I don't think, I mean, the, the main role that they have in the episode is the discovery of all of these surveillance cameras that they have everywhere. Right. We kind of knew that they were, you know, spying on Buffy, but we didn't really see, they have this whole network of cameras on every single you know, place that the Scoobies go, not even just Buffy, but, you know, the classes that Willow attends and Sanders' work sites and, you know, and the magic box, obviously. Um, So the fact that that plays such an important part and gets discovered by, you know, Buffy. So the Scoobies are getting closer and closer to narrowing in on them. Um, And Buffy's more and more motivated to find them. You know, that part where she's like, I want to find these guys. Like, like she's sitting there going like, gosh, we've had like a whole season and I still haven't caught these annoying little people. Yeah. Like it's getting, she's starting to, you know, be ready to have that confrontation and is going to be determined to track them down. Um, and now that they're discovering all of their equipment and Willow is on the trail in terms of the technology, you know, it's only, yeah. it's only a matter of episodes before we finally get to yeah. the end, know, the end of the season, the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, and so, I mean, that's an interesting point too. Cause like, 
we are on episode 18 of the season out of 22. So there's only four episodes left. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like if we were to compare the trio with, you know, big bads from previous seasons, like how do they compare? Um, mm-hmm. And even thinking back to like the last episode, like they kind of call it out, right? Like in normal again, they're like, you know, earlier in your, well, you know, putting it in terms of like Buffy as someone who's in an insane asylum, uh, you know, like compared to like the previous fantasies you've had of like battling the master and, you know, evil demons and stuff like these are kind of a mundane, you know, enemy mm-hmm. to be facing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, right. But again, how um, surprisingly effective they've been about disrupting Buffy's life. Like, yeah. In their mundane, annoying little ways, they have and, and lasted cowardly. the whole season. <laughs> yeah. Well, and probably because of that, because they don't just come out and confront her. Right. They they hide, and they're hard to find, and they're hard to catch, and they're sneaky about it. So, you know, that means that they have, like, lasted, like, the whole season. Like, there hasn't, they're not itching for a confrontation, um, yeah. Which, and so in that way, it's made them a little bit harder to sort of root out. So, yeah. Which when you think about it, hasn't really happened since the master in season one, because the other seasons sure. have all sort of had fake outs, right? Like, like right, Angel sure. doesn't become Angelus until halfway through season two. And mm-hmm. then like the mayor, like initially you think it's like, Kakistos and Mr. Trick and like, mm-hmm. you know, in season three and then like the mayor is the actual big bad. Right. Um, right. And same with like season four, like Adam doesn't really show up until late in season. Right. So, right. um, right. Right. So like the longevity of these people of these three is kind of unique. Um, yeah. You know, among all of the, you know, of the villains. And I think the fact that they are kind of, um, mundane and sneaky about it is part of the reason, you know, so that it doesn't lend itself to like a big showdown. Sure. Um, it's more like, you know, like this isn't Glory who like is like ready to, you know, take Buffy down. It's like they have to like, they're going to have to like weed these guys out mm-hmm. and, you know, they're going to have to find them before they can even really like, you know, have the the fight with them. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. So moving on, I, we kind of broke it up by couple because this is, you know, a big episode for the different couples within the Scoobies and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, even though, again, there is some overlap. Um, but starting with, uh, Xander and Anya, um, we get Anya, uh, you know, coming back to Sunnydale, back to the magic shop. Um, and, you know, with all the kind of hurt and pain and anger and resentment and bitterness that she's been, you know, experiencing and, you know, ready to do her vengeance demon thing. Um, I mean, 
So not right away though, because when it kind of starts, she just sort of shows up at the apartment, right? Like she, she's kind of, you see that she's kind of watching Xander and keeping an eye, but you know, she goes into the apartment and you know, Xander gives his speech, his practiced, I've said this, you know, three times in front of the mirror kind of speech um, about how sorry he is. And she kind of seems like receptive. Sure. Like, you know, she's not immediately uh, trying to curse him. She's listening and she's wanting to hear that he is sorry and it, maybe wanting to work things out or, or have some sort of reconciliation. And it's really not until he, you know, kind of overdoes it. He overplays his hand slightly and, and says, you know, that if I'd said something earlier, we, we could have spared you, um, you know, which is the kicker, which is kind of letting her know this isn't an, Oh, I screwed up and let me fix it speech. This is, you know, that he's sticking to his original position, which is that he doesn't want to get married or at least not right now. Yeah. Um, and that's the real kind of tip off to, you know, the return of, you know, vengeance demon Anya. Like that's when her face goes demony and she actively tries to, you know, do all her, you know, torture curses and everything. Um, right. And and I love like the things that she comes up with, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, I I wish your you know guts were twisted and you know whatever. And he's like, they are. She's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's metaphorical. I don't. That's not what I'm looking for. Um, right. It's all the stuff you kind of say in anger, right. but she means it. You know, literally. Literally. Yeah. Um, uh. Which is kind of classic Anya, like that that literalness right. of, course she of means her character. Literal. <laughs> yeah, um, she never says anything that's not one hundred percent sincere, and you know, uh, in the way that she says it, you know, or else she wouldn't say it that way. Um, so yeah, I mean, that kind of kind of jumped out to me that like after the end of uh, the episode with at the end of Hell's Bells where, you know, it's her and, you know, her demon mentor. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting to me that she doesn't automatically come back convinced that vengeance is the answer. You know, there is that part of her that wants to hear what Xander has to say and wants to hear his explanation. Sure. Um, before she, it's really not until he puts his foot in his mouth that she you know, or confirms the thing that she was worried about that, um, that she really sort of turns back to, okay, like it's time for some retribution. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it seems to me anyway, that like had Xander just said like, yes, right away, I do want to get married. Maybe let's, you know, take a year and just figure out how to do it right kind of thing. Like it's his hesitation, right. Of mm -hmm. that. He doesn't want to get married. And then he does eventually say like, well, yes, but in a little while, like he had just said yes right away. And then said, mm 
you know, maybe let's take a year or two to think about it, you know, and just give each other a little more time. Like Anya might've actually been okay with that. Mm -hmm. Just it's that hesitation that makes her like, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, like, I, I mean, I don't know, like she still would have been a vengeance demon. So who knows? Like, but you almost feel like it could have worked out to some extent if he had just not had that hesitation, you know, to begin with. Right. And, you know, it's complicated because it's like, you know, on the one hand, I feel like there's some sympathy there for Anya in that Xander is giving these sort of mixed messages of like, sure. like I, I, I do want to be together but I don't want to get married, but I might eventually, but not right now. And so just the kind of like, yeah, wishy-washiness of his position, which we saw before, like in the fact that he left the altar and then the next day practically is saying, oops, you know, that was like a mistake and I regret <laughs> My it. My bad. Um, yeah. So like, but on the other hand, you know, like you were kind of saying, is the only difference here and Xander's like phrasing like is it just that he has to say is it only going to work out if he says exactly what she wants to hear in the exact way that she wants to hear it and is she you know not willing to listen to what he actually is trying to say even if he's not doing a good job of saying it um sure and so you know uh, it's, you know, I think it's a fairly effective way of not totally making it a one-sided, um, you know, argument where, you know, I don't know, for me, it, it's hard to kind of say a hundred percent who's in the right and who's in the wrong. Um, at least yeah. at this instant, at, at this point in the, in the relationship anyway. Yeah. No, and I think overall their arguments, I think actually this is, even though uh, I don't know that plot-wise a ton happens in the episode, I actually kind of really like the way that it's written. Um, mm -hmm. And it, I mean, maybe even worth noting, it's, it's written by Drew Greenberg, who um, only started as a writer on Buffy... Uh, in this season. So he, mm -hmm. he, uh, wrote a couple of earlier episodes. So he wrote, um, the episode smashed, which is, uh, well, it's the first one where Buffy and Spike have sex. Mm -hmm. And then, um, mm -hmm. uh, he wrote older and far away, uh, which seems really long ago, but it was actually only like a few episodes ago. Um, uh, which is, uh, I think is that the one um oh that's the one where they're trapped in the house right so yeah. uh so you, right with the wishes with with, with dawn with and, the wishes yeah. yeah yeah um so again like you can kind of see you know how like certain writers have their things right so this is anya with the wishes now right like it's mm -hmm. and and dawn 
calling back to that episode of I've learned mm-hmm. my lesson about not wishing things, you know, right. um, and that kind of thing. So, so I, you know, I think there's little things like that that you can sort of pick up on, you know, with him being yeah. the writer, but I think just in general, like sort of the complexity is really good. And I think in particular, like what you're, you were saying about Anya and Xander, that their arguments, like it is really hard to like fully blame or fully absolve either of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you can understand mm-hmm. how both of them are hurt. And yeah, Xander is, I mean, maybe leading her on a little bit or or at least confused enough in his own mind that like, like he shouldn't be expecting Anya to come back to him at this point when he's not even really sure what he wants anyway. Like, right. whether you right. call that leading on or, or something, like he's at least confused enough that like he he needs to sort of figure out what his own stuff is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like, it's hard to really say that Anya acts like, like, yeah, like she's a vengeance demon and all, but that, you know, being jilted doesn't necessarily give you carte blanche to do whatever the hell you want to someone either. Mm-hmm. And, right. and so, you know, there is, there is a point of taking it too far and it's kind of interesting that you actually see that, Oh wait, there are some rules around this whole vengeance thing. Like you can't be the one to exact it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like that might actually kind of be a good rule <laughs> or else right, you would just right. have, it wouldn't be vengeance so much as just, you know, you going around doing what whatever you feel like. And Right. Like it kind of implies whether or not this always happens in practice, but there's a certain like impartiality on the part of the vengeance demon that like like you can't your own pain and your own biases can't inflict curses on other people. You have to go to this Yeah outside party to do it for you and so then maybe that cuts down on some of the like pettiness of it or you know or whatever um yeah and it's it's interesting how hard she has to work at trying to find someone who will exact vengeance and and maybe you know part of that is you know just the fact that like we all do realize that at heart like aunt Xander's not a bad guy, but, you know, is maybe kind of an idiot in this one circumstance. And she, you know, Anya certainly feels that this is a terrible thing that happened to her. And it is like, I don't want to, you know, belittle that or anything. But at the same time, it's not like those mistakes that a person makes in their relationship shouldn't necessarily define or in a relationship shouldn't necessarily define their, mm-hmm. you know, entire person. Although, you know, there is the fact that Xander sort of consistently has poor relationships. Like, you know, he ruined his relationship with Cordelia as well by sure, cheating, sure. you know, with uh, Willow. And No, and there is maybe some self-sabotage there of you know when things get yeah. to the point where they're gonna work out it, it he'll swoop in and make some bad decision you know to that ends up you know wrecking the trust in the relationship yeah um and so like with her going around trying to get 
people to wish bad things on him. Like the tone of this episode was interesting to me and the shift from like the comedy to the, the drama at the end that like the fact that like for most of it, it's kind of played for laughs that like her, sure, you know, the way the kinds of things, and it's not to say that she doesn't really wish them or not to say that she's really sincere, but it doesn't really feel yeah, it, real. It doesn't, it feels like... It's exaggerated. It's um, it's exaggerated. And it feels like because the things don't actually happen, because he's not physically like, you know, boiled and all these other things, like it feels no different than anyone else who just vents about the person who wronged them by saying right. what they wish would happen, but it doesn't actually do anything. Right. You know, it's like, it's just something that you say. Um, and it doesn't actually have any physical consequence, you know? And for the most of the episode, that's what it is. It's her, like, complaining about him and trying to get people to, like, agree with her and everything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and the kind of humor of that, of, like, like oh, the lesbians, the hating <laughs> right. of men will come in handy. Like, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, right. Of course, all her, lesbians her appeals, must be man-haters. Man man-haters. So, and... Her yeah. appealing to what she hopes are like the basest parts of everybody, um, yeah. you know. But of course, she's the she's the wronged party. They're not, you know. Uh, they they can be empathetic on her, for her and have compassion for what she's gone through, but they're not wishing suffering on him in the way that you know she's wanting them to and everything. Um. Yeah. You know, and even, I mean, we get the rule of she can't curse him herself. So there's like a, a, a reason why she can't do this. But in the part later where she's talking to Spike, you know, and she's starting to get a little bit more honest and a little bit more, you know, emotional and everything. And she kind of says, um, uh, where's the part that I'm thinking of? Um, she kind of says, what if it was you know, my fault. What if, you know, like I keep thinking that it must have been my fault that he's just pretending. And you kind of, I feel like there's some maybe kind of, as well as, well as there being a, a kind of in-universe reason why she can't curse him, there's also like a metaphorical layer there too of, well, she can't really curse him because she doesn't really blame him. There's a part of her that Maybe not all of her, but there's a part of her that's blaming herself and mm. saying, it must have been me. It can't just have been that he has these issues or whatever. It I must have done something wrong. Um, you know, which kind of, she kind of says like the, the, the hell bent on vengeance is an act. You know, like I came in with all this bluster, but really the fear is that it really wasn't Xander's problem in the first place, you know? Sure. Uh, Which I, I, I've uh, heard someone say that, and this, this line stuck with me, um, that there's no such thing as pure anger that 
if you kind of really examine yourself, anger is always either fear or hurt in disguise. Hmm. That like anytime you've ever really been angry about something. And I feel like that's true for me. I don't know if everybody agrees with that, but I've thought about it and think I think there's some truth there. If you're really angry, you're either afraid or you're hurt about something. It's a reaction to either maybe feeling like what somebody thinks of you or, or hurt of how they've treated you, or it has maybe more to do with your own insecurity than actual rage at somebody else. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's kind of like maybe the, the metaphor of Anya's vengeance demon thing is like the vengeance demon who seeks, you know, justice on all these, you know, bad lovers who've hurt, you know, their women and everything. Is it really about the pain of that more so than a purely righteous, you know, anger, I guess. Sure. Well, and so she spends the whole episode, you know, wishing pain and hellfire on Xander and not being able to wreak it. Uh, and it's, you know, obviously she has sex with Spike and Xander and the others witness it. And uh, that does end up hurting him. Right. And they have mm-hmm. their confrontation about that. But in the end, Spike, who she couldn't get to wish anything at all, starts to say, I wish, and she stops him. And so it's there's, yeah. you know, there's that realization of whatever, you know, however much she hurts Xander, she realizes it's actually not what she wants, apparently. Yeah. You know, based on what she says to Spike anyway. And, and stopping him from wishing. Um, well, and and even though the curses didn't come about, she got her wish. You know, like she sure. got the well. That's what, what I mean. Thing, and like his suffering, yeah. And and I think she comes to the same place that Dawn does of like, just don't wish anymore. Like, don't even go there. You know. Right, and but and I think it's not just that she got her wish and you know, of hurting him, but that she realized, I, I mean, this is just my interpretation. Like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it can be taken other ways as well, but it seems to me that it's not just that she got her wish, but that Mm -hmm. she got it and now doesn't want it anymore. Right. Sure. um, Otherwise I think she would let Spike continue to say whatever it was that he wished. Right. Um, Right. And it's also right. and that's the it, yeah. It's yeah, also hard. Like I, I don't know that we know enough about like the vengeance. Like, had Spike continued his thought, whatever, whatever it was that he was about to wish, mm-hmm. like, would she necessarily have had to grant that wish? Like, I feel like, like there's, right. you know, when there's a vengeance demon around, you know, and you wish for something, they grant that wish, but like it's not it's not clear to me that they have to grant the wish mm. always, you know, mm-hmm. it's just that most of them seem willing to, mm-hmm. you know, grant the wish at various times. Um, right. You know, when they're around, but I don't, you know, I mean, I don't think we know enough about what it means to be a, uh, and you know, it's not like 
like I don't know, is it like a genie where like that's you know, what I was you, thinking. You, yeah. you rub the bottle and they have to grant you right. you know three wishes or whatever. Well, not like it seems like they have some ability to sort of move around and hear mm-hmm. people like sort of expressing their anguish and then choose who they respond mm-hmm. to. At least that like when Halfrick helps Dawn out, that's that mm-hmm. seems to be the case, right? She says like I heard her crying and nobody else did and like she was kind of crying the loudest and exhibiting the most pain and so that's who I went to which implies choice like that there that she has the ability to ignore people as well perhaps right. um so you know spike could have expressed the wish maybe and anya not granted it but she stops him from even doing so mm-hmm. um which, which again implies to me that like she's, she's done and over and, and doesn't even want to go there anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I feel like there yeah. was something else I was going to say about Anya and Xander, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. So maybe we can move on to others. Um. Yeah. Well, maybe Unless, you'll think of it because yeah. I think we'll come back to them a little bit, but um. So Spike and Buffy, um, kind of picking up where we left off with them of Spike threatening in the last episode to tell Buffy's friends about them, um, kind of getting sick of her kind of hiding, you know, and, and her shame at this whole situation. Um, and, uh, so he's kind of still you know, hanging around, you know, dangling that, that threat and everything. Um, but, um, she doesn't bite so much, you know, she says that, you know, she tried to kill them last week and they don't hate her or they hate her zero much. So, um, so she kind of calls his bluff and is like, well, if they don't hate me for that, then, you know, I think they'll probably be cool with almost anything. Um, so kind of like says, Hey, you know, do what you want. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of, uh, where they are, you know, in the moment of this episode. Um, yeah. So we don't really get many, anything else from them until later when, uh, they discover the cameras and of course, so like there's a, a Xander Spike subplot that's coming to the fore here of their their ongoing, you know, rivalry and and just general dislike of each other. Um, so both, I mean, kind of, I want to say rivalry sort of for Buffy, like each of them kind of, you know, imagined that they are Buffy's true, you know, uh confidant you know Mm. maybe in different ways but i think each of them kind of holds their own relationship with her and kind of sneers on the other one as like like xander thinks spike is just obsessed with her and is has in this hopeless relationship that's never gonna go anywhere and he has no idea that like it's actually like gone places um but also I feel like Spike looks down on Xander's relationship with Buffy as like 
kind of shallow. Like I'm the only one who really understands Buffy and she's really only comfortable when she's with me. And you may think you're her best friend, but you know, you're not really. Um, so it's kind of all waiting to explode basically um, between the two of them. So they find these cameras and of course that's Xander's assumption is that, you know, Spike put them there and everything. Sure. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think if there was any, oh, so when Buffy goes, um, you know, there's the line about he's, Spike is still trying to convince her that of the, you know, the genuineness of his feeling and that it's real and you keep pretending that it's not. And she kind of, again, sort of just doesn't deny it anymore and kind of calls it out and says like, yes, I believe it is real. It's just that it's one-sided. Um, it's real for you. It's not real yeah. for her. Um, so she's not denying anymore that there's real feeling there, but she is denying that she reciprocates, I guess. Um, yes. Yes. As we know, as Drusilla has told us, vampires can indeed love, if not always wisely. Sure. Um, right. And yeah. And right. like Buffy seems to be starting to learn that whether, you know, it's just, mere persistence on spike's part or whatever mm. she's seems to be at least coming around to the idea that it's possible um that he does love her in his own way and like yeah like even that so um like later we get there's sort of a compare and contrast going on between spike and anya in this episode right because yeah like later we get you know their conversation to each other and Anya talking about her forthrightness and, mm -hmm. you know, saying exactly what she means all the time. Whereas Spike is conniving. He's a liar. He's whatever. But there's, you know, that he has that moment where he says to Buffy, like, you know, never, never to you. Like I never hurt you, including like through lies or whatever, like that somehow he's always honest with her, at least, you know, of late, <laughs> you know, since, since he's been falling in love with her anyway, like right, right. that may not always have been the case, but, but at least, you know, for the last year or so mm -hmm. that has been the case that he's honest with her mostly, at least when it comes to his feelings and, and whatever for her. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I mean, take that as you will, but I think, mm -hmm. you know, I think we can, at least believe that he thinks he's, you know, in love with her and, and whatever. And, um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah. So they kind of put Anya and Spike in the situation together and, um, and I feel like they are explicitly contrasted, well, but we haven't necessarily, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying even, so before we get to that though, like just mm -hmm. the whole, you know, point of Buffy, like Buffy drops the whole camera thing pretty quickly with Spike too. And like, right. like Spike's like, Oh, you, you believe Xander, you agree with him, whatever. And when he says, I, you know, never hurt you. 
Buffy's like, I know. And then he's kind of like, no, you don't. Blah, blah, blah. But like, like she drops the camera. Like it never comes up between the two of them again. Right. And so, you know, like that, you know, then Buffy goes back to her house and like there's Xander and Willow and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're trying to find the source of this. And like the idea of her thinking that the cameras are from Spike is like completely off the table. And even at that point, mm-hmm. Xander sort of has to admit like, okay, well, who else could it be? Um, mm-hmm. He's not willing to completely absolve Spike, but he's saying, okay, well, it's possible. It's like the trio and stuff, but like, yeah. but you, you definitely feel like, like Buffy went there to confront him about it, but kind of, you know, in a perfunctory way, just like, right checking off all your boxes to make sure right. you know you're not right. missing something but i don't right. i don't know that she ever really believes that it's him right um, right she's doing her due diligence but how much did she really think it was ever his to begin with right um yeah no i got a definite a, a similar feeling um and she yeah i mean he denies it she believes in that's the end of conversation she takes that you know she takes his word there. Um, so, you know, there is a trust that's growing there. And, you know, some honesty, like, even if she doesn't always like what he says, I think there is honesty in that when he says stuff, she believes him. Yeah. Um, at least now, nowadays, she does. Right. Um, and or about certain things, so, you know, or about important things and about their relationship she does believe him um right i mean he might still like lie by omission as far as like not telling her that he has a bunch of like demon eggs that he's been selling on the black market or something but like but like yeah when it comes to like you know that he loves her and you know will help her and whatever um so that also so then the question becomes too like when he's like like you said, like he's threatening her, you know, to tell, like, if you don't tell, mm-hmm. I will kind of thing. And um, sorry, I'm skipping over the Anya stuff for a moment, but we can go back mm-hmm. to it. But like he chooses the absolute worst or best, I guess, depending on how whose point of view you're looking at it from uh, moment in time mm-hmm. to reveal that. Right. Like when right after Xander, who's you know, like you were saying, like kind of considers himself Buffy's confidant and, and thinks he knows her better than Mm -hmm. anyone else. And, uh, has stuck by her when like literally everyone else, except maybe Willow has, you know, not trusted her Mm -hmm. or not, you know, whatever. And just gets done saying that you make me sick because you've slept with Spike. And then like, Spike's like, well, good enough for Buffy. Like, and not even like gloatingly, but like, yeah, sort of sad and defeatedly, but like, Mm -hmm. nonetheless, like triumphantly in the same way. And and just, and it's the triumph. It's just that it doesn't matter if it's the worst moment or who it hurts in that moment of just, I don't think Spike can stand xander's smugness for one more moment of thinking he knows you know sure uh thinking he knows what's going on or who might sleep with spike or what they might possibly get out of that or you know thinking that like like you said just that he maybe 
feels like he knows Buffy the best and that um yeah like I think it's the taking Xander down a peg becomes like the most important thing in that moment um so yeah and like on the one hand we were just pointing out Spike's honesty you know he says he's gonna do something and he does it mm -hmm. he says I'm gonna tell your friends and lo and behold he does it so he certainly follows through on that but on the other hand he also said he wouldn't do anything to hurt Buffy and again he picks like the most painful possible moment to reveal this thing that is gonna cause her you know a lot of pain so you know um it's uh, you know again it's it's complicated um yeah so yeah um so spike and anya i feel like you said they are kind of contrasted in this episode and like and i feel like we haven't gotten a lot of stuff that's just the two of them you know, right. of like them off doing things or whatever. But it, when you kind of think about it, like they do have a lot in common, you know, like they really are kind of, I mean, obviously more, they're not the core Scoobies, you know, they're kind of more, you know, I mean, Spike more so, but they're both kind of less of that, you know, original group um a little bit of outsiders there you know they're both demons who have been you know to one extent or another humanized you know and have had some of their you know you know their demon power and their their dangerousness taken away from them um you know and now they're both you know scorned by you know their human lovers and feel like they are being, you know, have more invested in these relationships than the humans that are, you know, supposed to be loving them back and everything. Um, you know, and then again, the honesty, the fact that, well, yeah, they're, they're ancient and they're demonic and they should have been dead, but at least they're honest about those things. Whereas Xander and Buffy have all sorts of, you know, issues and repressions yeah. and, you know, um, but in that you know, vein, things that they're not, they're not, according to Xander or according to Anya and Spike, at least they feel like they're not honest about who they really are. So here's, here's the thing about that too. It's like, well, okay. If you are so old and wise and honest or whatever, like you should recognize that these are 20 year olds, right? Whereas sure. you're like yeah. thousand or hundreds of years old, you know? And it's like, you know, you're acting kind of petulantly yourself for given your age and you know, yeah, all of absolutely. that and, and experience and whatnot. So, um, no. And I think that's a good point that like Spike and Anya, what they call honesty could just be called petulance or whatever, like, you know, is lashing out at people when they don't feel the way you want them to feel. Yeah. Is that honesty? You know? Or is that like brattiness? Um, right. You know, and there, there's a, there's a thing there of like they're furious at these, you know, at their partners. But like, 
again, like Anya says, the real fear is not that Xander, like, you know, is deliberately trying to hurt her. The real fear is what if he never felt this in the first place? Right. You know, what if I've been projecting all this stuff onto him that he didn't really feel? And that's exactly what Buffy is saying is, I believe you that it's real, but it's on your side. It's like, I don't feel the same way. And so each of them is kind of angry about the fact that it's just not reciprocated in the same way that, you know, mm -hmm. um, that it seems to be. They, they have more feeling and more passion than, than, you know, Xander and Buffy are returning. Um, you know, again, whether or not Xander, I mean, Buffy definitely agrees with that. I don't know if Xander would agree with that, but, um, sure. uh, but it puts Spike and Anya in a very similar situation and primes them for their shenanigans, you know, because they're, they get drunk. Anya's encouraging the, the complaining and the, the bonding over their shared misery you know they're getting closer and closer because they have so much in common um yeah you know and it stops being funny and starts to get kind of steamy and like you know they're you know you can kind of feel where this is going and everything right um and meanwhile you know willow is on her computer narrowing down on all the different you know surveillance cameras and everything right um just in time for uh, them to put on a little show for everybody. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of interesting, too. It occurred to me, like, there's really not much, like, magic in this episode. Like, it right. doesn't really... There's no, like, monster of the week. None of the wishes turn into big spells or curses or anything. It, like, deals with just totally normal things like you know people you know yeah cheating cheating on each other out of anger you know and having to deal with that although i think it, is it a cheat is a question like i keep thinking of like anya's gonna say we were on a break like that feels like right you know the thing of are they really together at this point and yeah. you know that's a that's a question you know that you can kind of I think debate over. Well, I mean, I think, I think it's a question that would be answered differently by Anya than by Xander. Right. And I think, right. I think that's, that's that. I mean, that's why the, we were on a break is so, that's you know, so effective. Right. right. It's because people do have different uh, considerations about, you know, what is and what isn't you know a breakup or whatever like if you you know they never talked about it after you know xander left the church and anya left town and like like nothing really happened from that like we know that xander thinks that you know him walking away wasn't a breakup. It was, mm -hmm. and I need more time to think about this. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was an idiot and, you know, can't we get back together? But, you know, maybe pump the brakes on the marriage thing. Whereas Anya is like, 
no, it's an either or. It's a now or never. It's, mm-hmm. you know, very cut and dry. Um, right. So, yeah. So, like, I mean, I I, I think that makes sense to, to have Xander be saying something like we were on a break or, or Anya or whatever saying we were on a break. But yeah, but it wasn't really a break. They were broken up, they, you know, from her right. perspective. Like, right, right. In um, her mind, that was it. That's the end yeah, of the relationship. Zan- Xander um, left her at the altar. Like, that's not right. coming. You don't come back from that. Um, right. At least in her right. in her mind. And now whether that's, you know, a good way to look at it or not, like whether that makes it OK. But like, I mean, for her, like, like she comes right back and I'm like, you know, you left me like. This isn't, right. you know, like Xander's like, we're just working through some issues. And she she's like, no, you you left me. That's not working right. through issues. That's abandonment. And mm-hmm. once you abandon something, you don't you don't have the right, you know, to sort of demand that, you know, it be right. used or 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 that that person act in a certain way or whatever. Like that's right. Right. You, you know yeah maybe it was quick but you know that's where she was at um right i don't owe you anything is her right is her line you know like at that point for her that was the end of the relationship um and you know there's an interesting element to xander's reaction to me the fact that and i think it's it's compounded by the fact of what he finds out about Buffy and Spike too, which is again this it's not of course he's angry about this but it's not just that she cheated on him it's that she cheated on him with Spike and then on top of it Spike and Buffy have had this relationship and like like he keeps coming back to like the disgust of it you know it's like it's not even just that you know you went and found some random, like, guy in a bar or something. It's that, like, you know, you had sex with that, that thing over there that's not alive and everything. There's, like, I don't, I kind of want to come up with, like, a vampire word for, like, slut-shaming or something. Like, there's, like, there's something particularly vile about the fact that it was with Spike that makes it so much more offensive than, you know... It, like he keeps coming back to this point of how disgusting it is, yeah. you know, well, that it was Spike to begin and with. And so, so this is, you know, this goes back to the idea of like, are all demons evil, right? Like, or subset of that are all vampires evil? Like for Xander, that's mm-hmm. a very easy question to answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and remember that he had, very similar thoughts about angel in the early days so you know it's not out of character for him to like feel and think this way and you know xander at least on this issue does not live in a very gray world so Mm -hmm. i think that's that's definitely part of it and i mean in his defense like every other vampire except Angel is evil and mm-hmm. like Spike's only not evil because of the chip, you know? Right. And, you know, do we agree with Dawn when she says, you know, chip, conscience, soul, same thing, like, mm-hmm. or, or not. And, and Xander has, 
has and always always has uh leaned on you know pretty explicitly on the side of of no having a chip Mm -hmm. doesn't make you good it just keeps you from hurting people Mm -hmm. um and and spike has agreed with that at times like spike has even said like hello just because i have a chip doesn't mean i'm good i'm like mm-hmm. like still evil like you know right, right. You know, he would even be a little offended by that and, notion, yeah. and like with like season four and maybe early season five like he was still like trying to do evil things you know mm-hmm. despite the chip in his head and yeah it's not you know like i don't even know that like we can say xander is wrong per se to have that belief um because again, Spike Spike maybe isn't, you know, doesn't hurt Buffy, or at least, you know, mm-hmm. mostly doesn't hurt Buffy. Mm-hmm. But that's not a claim to not hurt anyone else. <laughs> and like how right. good or evil, you know, that's like the, you know, like the girlfriend who's like, well, he's so nice to me, but like the guy is a douchebag to everyone else, right? Like, right. you know, right. well, yes, he's nice to you because of whatever you do or don't provide for him or you know whatever but like that doesn't mean that he's a good guy you know just because he's nice to one person and and a jerk to everyone else and that's Mm -hmm. that's sort of i mean it's not an exact you know metaphor or whatever but i think Mm -hmm. it's it's in that same vein of where sort of xander sees fight like okay yeah like Mm -hmm. maybe he's good in the sense that like he can't hurt people because there's this technology in his head that prevents him from right. doing That's that. That's preventing him. But, yeah. Yeah. but that doesn't make him a good guy or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And he's still, you know, soulless and, and evil and, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so I've defended Xander a little bit, I guess, in that sort of rant. But also, like, how much should we blame him for the different reaction he has to hearing about Buffy? Right? Like, he doesn't, accuse her or yell at her in the way that he does Anya. He just, mm-hmm. he, he, he refuses to listen. Literally. He says, I can't hear this mm-hmm. and then runs away. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, is that hypocritical? Like based on what he was literally just saying to Anya, or is that just too overwhelming? Like is, you know, yet again, here's Xander running away from things that he mm-hmm. can't handle or doesn't know how to process. Like, not that you would necessarily expect someone to change that quickly, but it's mm-hmm. kind of proving Anya's point about him being just a scared little boy, mm-hmm. you know, and and not wanting to deal with his problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what are your, what are your thoughts there, <laughs> or if you have no, any, I or... mean no, I think you kind of you kind of said it like like yeah, he has legitimate points of view. Um, on the other hand he has his blind spots that he keeps coming back to, you know, as we all do. But, um, but he is for better or worse, he is very consistently himself in what he can and can't handle and what he thinks about these sorts of things. Um, You know, and I think that the the part that kind of um, like made me think of like, like a vampire version of slut shaming is just the way that 
not just, you know, the, the, not just kind of like rejection of Spike's goodness and not just, you know, uh, somewhat justified anger at Anya for what he sees as cheating, but just the way that it seems, and we'll see if this goes anywhere, but it seemed to me like his view of Anya and Buffy became instantly sort of tainted by, you know, who they chose to be with. Like the very fact of who Spike is. It's suddenly, you know, um, you know, just the way he says, I, I look at you and I feel sick. Like he says that to Anya, but I kind of have to believe that that might be true of Buffy as well. Like, and even though Buffy certainly doesn't owe him anything, owes him even less than Anya does. Like there's no, there's no commitment there in terms of a relationship. And yet I feel like, He's saying that that has to, he would feel the same way about Buffy, you know, of like, that's his opinion of her, you know, as well as Anya, mm-hmm. um, because of her having, you know, ever been with Spike, even, even if it wasn't out of revenge and it was just, he doesn't know her reasons. He knows nothing about it, um, but he just can't. Like you said, he can't even stand the thought. He has to run away from it. It's that sort of, you know, disturbing. So, you know, I think there are legitimate points buried in some kind of more reactionary sort of phobias there, you know, or like there's, there's, you know, prejudice that might be founded on some truth, but for him, I think there is some, you know, it's more personal than that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. And he, he does say, he says, I can't, I can't even hear this and leaves. So it's sort of hard to, hard to have a conversation once you leave. Um, so that's kind of where, uh, where they get left and the tone is totally, you know, by the time we're getting to this part of the episode, the, the comedy is totally gone, oh, yeah. you know, and it's, you know, that the fun of wishing what horrible things you could do to the person who's wronged you um, isn't so fun once you're actually faced with the suffering of the person, yeah. you know. Um, well, and, so. and it's, I mean, Xander stalks off, you know, very noticeably on his own, but by you know within the next 30 seconds all four of them are on their own right like buffy sort of walks away uh spike starts to say something and anya shuts him up and then goes inside leaving him out there by himself and you know she goes in and just starts sort of you know talk about like metaphor like she just starts going in and literally picking up from the devastation of her actions you know like you know cleaning up the shop or whatever so you know yeah they've all whatever had brought them all together you know their little you know for some whatever i mean obviously not a triangle but whatever you call that the 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 love rectangle Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know that they make has sort of you know pulled them all apart and they're just kind of each going in their own direction Right, right. Um, which so contrast that because 
you get you get the overdub of mm-hmm. Tara's voice. Mm-hmm. And I know we haven't talked about Willow and Tara up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of just cutting to the end here. That's um, fine. But you get the overdub of of that devastation and Anya like picking up the chair or bench or whatever and Tara starts talking right about Mm -hmm. uh things fall apart they fall apart so hard and her little speech Mm -hmm. uh coming into Willow's room and like saying how hard it is you know to put things back together and you don't know there's a lot of work you have to learn if we're the same people, if you can fit in each other's lives. It's a long and important process. And can we just skip it? Mm-hmm. You know, can you just be kids? So, like, like, this is the thing that Anya was looking for with Xander. Mm-hmm. Right? When, when she was in the apartment and Xander came in. Like, this is what she was hoping for. It was just the, the declaration of love and can't we just skip to the happiness and the everything but Xander Mm -hmm. doesn't so but we get Tara and Willow you know Mm -hmm. doing this um right 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 coming together right um so you know and and Tara acknowledging the hardness of all of the like the repairing of relationships that have been damaged and broken and 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 how it takes time and you have to build trust and it's, it's it's kind of paying some homage to the idea of the, the work that it takes, but sure. Can we just skip it? <laughs> sure. You know, well, there's also a moment when it's just, you have to just choose to, to work it out right? and acknowledging that there will be work and there will be trust building, but unlike Xander, you can't just waffle and be wishy-washy you have to decide is this something i'm gonna work on is this something i want to happen and that seems to be what she's saying is you know yes trust building sounds great but can we like actually just make a commitment and jump to but, the, the good part you know? <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah no it, the choice is absolutely the the part i wanted to highlight too so there's that but i but I also like it's not just Xander either, right? It's also mm-hmm. Anya, mm-hmm. like, because there's two aspects here, right? There's with Tara and Willow, it's you know, can Willow sort of prove herself in the way, right? Like trust has to be built again mm-hmm. on both sides, but you know, mm-hmm. kind of mostly on Willow's side, more so like, on, on Willow's like side. Like that's because yeah. that's where the trust broke down. Yeah. You have to learn and if we're the Tara's same people. Tara's just too nice to say so. <laughs> um, but, but there's also, there's also the decision on Tara's part to not hold the grudge. Right. Yeah. And that's. Right. To have the trust. And, yeah. and yeah. that's, that's the, that's the part that Anya doesn't get for herself. Doesn't understand mm-hmm. for herself. Like that, mm-hmm. that is not enough to just want. Like, like, yes, Xander has to, like, be willing to, you know, uh, uh, work on things and, and put the time and the effort in. But, but Anya has to be willing to forgive. And that's, mm-hmm. she's not. 
and like I think if there's there's a flaw there on on Anya's side, it it is that mm-hmm. unwilling it it's the vengeance side of her, right? It's the mm-hmm. it's the thing that you have to pay for the hurt that you caused me, and that's right. not how people get back together, right? No matter what Xander says, he'll never be able to pay for that hurt, and and right. that's kind of what Tara's saying is that like you know we have to learn if we're even the same people well of course you're not because before before this event you hadn't gone through this event right like i mean like before going through the thing that split you apart you had never gone through the thing that split you apart so so of course you're a different person now um and the question isn't are you different people but it's the next thing it's you know can we fit in each other's lives anymore um Mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of the thing where she acknowledges it's important. It's a long and important process, but also that it's not necessarily necessary, not necessarily necessary. It's, it's not necessary if you can just, if, if you're willing to just put that aside and say, yes, let's, let's try this Mm -hmm. again and let's trust each other and let's, do that mm-hmm. like there is there is a decision there and a willingness that can be made but obviously as we see with Anya and Xander isn't always something mm-hmm. people do make right. um right. I mentioned you this is kind of one of my favorite sort of monologues or speeches or whatever um mm-hmm. beside like probably after uh Anya's speech in the body about mm-hmm. you know death being stupid and mortal uh this is probably like my second favorite um or at least i can't think of anything else offhand that would supplant this mm-hmm. um uh so yeah so uh and and definitely one that buffy fans tend to especially mm-hmm. tara willow shippers you know there there's there's the oz and willow shippers but like you know, at right. least among Tara Willow shippers, like this is this right. is definitely one of those moments because I mean, right, powerful just you know because of who Willow and Tara are, but also in yeah. contrast to everything else. Yeah. Um, right, right, yeah. It's a nice reversal from the way things are going to kind of have that one yeah. note of hope amongst all of the like devastation. Yeah. Um. Although, although, um. I, uh, the, the line, things fall apart, makes me think of the Yeats poem. Yep. Um, well, and that's and, exactly and where I was so, going next to. So, <laughs> so there, there, amongst the hope and the joy and the reunion, there is a note of foreboding there because, you know, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, that comes from the second coming, you know, and it's about yep. what rough beast slouches towards Bethlehem and all that. Cause there, so is there a suggestion there of maybe just because we're coming to the end of the season, I don't know, but a, a, a suggestion that um, there's could be bad things looming, you know? And um, sure. And so there, there, it just adds a, a slight mm, nervous kind of undertone yeah. to the ending well, of the episode. Well, and I mean, the episode's called Entropy, right? And so I guess I right. guess it depends right. on how... Right, so it goes along with that. I, yeah, I guess yeah. it depends on how you read that, right? Like, like is, 
you can have entropy. I mean, we certainly have enough entropy with the Buffy, mm-hmm. Spike, Xander, Anya, foursome there, right? Mm-hmm. And so, is this is this a portent or is it an acknowledgement of what's already happened? Mm-hmm. Right. And and I mean, right, it, right. It, and, it can and be the, both too. Like I'm not trying and to the say question it's either of, or, but and but the question of can they be put back together after they have fallen apart? Sure. Um, um, but you're right. I actually, yeah. so I copied part, like part of the poem in here because it, and it's, it's definitely an explicit reference to that. So it's not just like, mm-hmm. oh, here's a thing we can say right. it's, it's similar. Like it, it definitely is a reference to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the line you quoted, things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Uh, the next lines are mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood dim tide is loosed and everywhere. The ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. I mean, that's a pretty handy description of some of the stuff in this episode mm-hmm. right there. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of Spike. The The worst are full of passionate intensity. He's yeah. in some ways the most passionate lover in the episode. And and yet he gets, he's he's sort of also, you know, the soulless evil vampire that that Xander says he is. So, um, yeah. Um, so yeah. So the question is, are we looking backward or forward or, you know, sort of Janus like Mm -hmm. in both directions, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, right. And I mean, I won't say one way or the other, but I mean, we've seen enough of weed and stuff to know that like, like there, you know, the the wheel never stops turning, right? Like it's, it's goes bad for one character and it goes good for another. Like you know, mm-hmm. it's not right. it's not unheard of to say, have you know someone face a tragedy just as another person is, you know, finding something wonderful and and so you know, let's be happy for Willow and Tara in this moment. And yes. Uh, even even though we can sort of cringe at Sander and the rest uh, for all yeah. of their work. So um, one other thing, too. Uh, well, unless do you have anything else with Willow and Tara? I mean, we kind of skipped over the early stuff, but... No, no. I mean, we see them starting to kind of talk and get back together, so that's fine. I mean, I think yeah. the ending is the real important point. Um Going back to Buffy and Spike, though, real quick, uh, yeah. Don obviously figures out, mm-hmm. like, whatever. And we don't get an explicit uh, mention from Willow, but you kind of, she kind of look like, we know Willow's smart. And you yeah, see, she, you, she picks up you, on you it. You see yeah. the look back and forth. Yeah. Um, Xander yeah. obviously doesn't at that moment because he's so focused on Anya. So right, he's not right. like, everyone else is gone in his mind right. at that point. Like, right. Right. Um, but yeah, like I just wanted to note that like, it's not, it's not just that Spike reveals himself to mm-hmm. Xander. Right. No, the cat is uh, out of the bag. Xander's, and everybody knows. Yeah. You know, sort of in contrast to what you were saying before about Xander kind of considering himself a confidant of Buffy, he's mm-hmm. the last one to know, like kind of literally the last sure. one. To know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. 
So cool. yeah, uh, we could probably move on to BSG at this point, though. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about more sex and yes. <laughs> violence. <laughs> and the way in which they're juxtaposed. Yeah. Uh, with Baltar, specifically, where I wanted to uh -huh. start. Um, mostly because, like, his, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. And I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on him. Uh, mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, so six and three come in, accuse him of being in cahoots with the Galactica and you know, planting uh, the beacon out there for everyone to get sick. And they think that he, like, or somebody, but probably him, they must think it's him because, right, he's the smart guy, scientist man, mm -hmm. uh, engineered uh, the virus to, like, kill, uh, you know, these uh, Cylons and whatnot, when, in truth, mm -hmm. it's much more mundane than that. Um, it's, just, mm -hmm. it's just a virus. Uh, right. so yeah, um, they don't believe him when he denies it. So mm -hmm. they call in a torture droid or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the, the Cylon equivalent of a torture droid and, uh, go to town trying to get him to, uh, confess. Yeah. Um, which of course takes him to his mind palace with head six. Right. Right, right. Um, who convinces... Right, and things get kind of weird. Yeah, who convinces <laughs> him that um, if they just have sex in his head, in his little mind palace, beachside, you know, mm -hmm. whatever there, uh, that everything will be okay. And he can just... Mm -hmm. the, the pain is all in his head, which is, of course, funny because they're in his head when she's saying that. Right. right? So, like... If he put something else in his head, like the pleasure uh, of having right. sex with her, then then the pain will go away, or it'll just become really confusing. Um, Which is kind of what happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the 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 end result is that the two become they combine yeah, and they yeah. become kind of turn in they, they it loses all distinction. Right. So right to where he's like yeah. sort of. <laughs> orgasmically shouting I love you right, you know right. in the midst don't of stop. In the, yeah, in the midst, don't stop in the middle of the torture in the midst of this torture and you have six right. and three kind of looking at each other like what the heck is going what on what the heck is going on um, um, yeah. and three in particular like you kind of feel like she doesn't know whether to be like kind of touched but a little like way disturbed by like what's going on like yeah. um, kind of stops her in her tracks which is I guess the point um you know it kind of in a weird way does it kind of prove himself like the fact that he doesn't confess that he not only you know endures the torture but kind of seems to enjoy it like it, it like it i feel like it in a bizarre way almost like vindicates him at the end like mm. that wasn't the reaction that three was you know anticipating um yeah, and after all the stuff in the last episode with, like, um, the return of the Mind Palace and the emphasis on projection, like, even though they don't talk about the projection here, like, you still kind of have that in the back of your mind as how um, this goes beyond just daydreaming, you know? Like, sure. you can try to take your mind off, you know, 
painful things and think about other things. But Baltar goes into some other yeah. realm where, again, it seems to be, you know, almost literally true for him that he can go into these other worlds similar to how the Cylons can do it. Um, sure. And, I mean, not... It's also not unprecedented that uh, he's experienced pleasure at, you know, from head six. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, like, there's the time that Starbuck walked in on him with his pants down. Right, right, You right. know, right. Right. weirdly bent over yeah. the desk, you yeah. know. And so, right. uh, yeah, like, like, so it's not even, like, well, and there's head six has also caused him physical pain before too. So like, like right. these things have sort of always been around, but this is sort of like taking it to a whole mm -hmm. new level. Um, yeah. And actually I just thought too of, um, in, uh, ironically the torture episode when Starbuck is, you know, interrogating Leoben mm. and she's kind of saying like, if you want to prove you're human, well, humans can't just turn off their pain. They have to, like, so if you really want to prove that you're a human, you won't just, like, send your mind somewhere else. Like, you have to just endure it. And it's, like, kind of interesting to, to put that alongside this episode. You know, whereas, like, Baltar, who seems to be human as far as we know, um, is in a way able to turn off his pain, um, despite what Starbuck said. And, like, does take his mind away. Um, so, yeah, I mean, make of that what you will at this point in the story. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's Baltar. That's Baltar. Um, <laughs> Having a, a grand old time on the Cylon spaceship. Yeah. Um, uh, so the rest of it, I mean, can just kind of take it through based on maybe the plot points. Um, mm -hmm. I, like, I feel like it's fairly straightforward. So I don't know that yeah. there's a lot to, like, dissect necessarily, but we can talk through some mm -hmm. of the little character stuff on each one. Um, I mean, the base star investigation, pretty basic, I think. Like, they go... And yeah, we kind of just learned like, the same stuff that we learned yeah. in the last episode, really. I mean, if if anything, like, it's, you know, just having, like, Athena there, so there's some suspense about, oh, is she going to catch mm -hmm. it and whatever. And then they're brought back and put into quarantine. Um, and it turns out humans are good. And, oh, by the way, because Athena had, like, a half-human baby... Like, she has the antibodies, you know, right. that otherwise wouldn't, uh, you know, that otherwise Cylons don't have. So right. she's right. also protected. So right. good. that's good. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, nothing to really complain about there, um, but also, like, not too much to talk about, I think. Sure. Um, yeah. Either. Um, really starts to get interesting, I think, when Lee figures out his plan mm -hmm. now so here's here's the thing yeah we get we actually get a description from doc coddle about the virus right he says yeah. uh we know it as 
uh, lymphocytic encephalitis, which is actually a real thing. So um, it's a form of viral meningitis, apparently, that comes from a virus found in rats and other rodents okay. um, that exists here on our earth and whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the disease is carried by rodents, rats mostly, but a couple hundred years ago, humans developed an immunity. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting. I um, was looking up just sort of some stuff online and I read, um, it was like an interview, um, saying that this is kind of a hint, right? So like, mm. like humans, us, our humans, real humans today, like mm -hmm. are susceptible to lymphocytic encephalitis. And, and there's mm. tens of thousands of people who apparently get it each year, mm. you know, around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it's an actual real disease that we're susceptible to. So this brings mm -hmm. up the question of, well, if the colonial humans mm -hmm. were not susceptible to it because they had this, you know, uh, immunity uh, mm -hmm. or antibodies or whatever, then, then what happened? What, you know, why did, why did that, you know, did the, did the earthbound colonials you know, constitute then like a separate branch of humanity that never developed these mm -hmm. uh, um, antibodies or whatnot. And and mm -hmm. so just kind of that thing of like, oh, now you have, so you sort of have in a way then, not that they're an entirely different race, but it's certainly a different branch. Like this is, this is where you can sort of start looking from a, okay, if these people found earth, like mm -hmm. which, which is the branch that we still have today? Or, you know, I mean, at least right. there's some influence on it because, uh, you know, we don't, you know, we aren't, we are susceptible to the virus. So, uh, I mean, again, right. obviously right. this is fiction. And so we know we don't really, sure. you know, uh, we haven't really evolved from this sort of, but I just found that interesting right. that like, Oh, there's a, you know, there's an interesting little yeah. uh, change there. Um, yeah, well, and it, it, so the larger kind of question there, which I don't think we've talked about maybe since the early well, and I know, parts. And, and I know we're getting into like the end game of the show too. So like I, I'm trying, I'm being a little sure. vaguer than maybe even I want to be with, right, right. you know, discussing what I'm talking about, but um, just sort right, of. right thinking like that th like this is an actual disease but the colonials are immune to it so so mm -hmm. what does that sort of imply you know if right. and when they do find her and i think the the question that it gestures towards more generally is when does this story take place like sure is this is and which we don't know we know and, that there is and which iteration a, is it <laughs> right and right exactly right and so so even within a timeline there may be multiple timelines you know in succession or in parallel to each other like it this is an open-ended question all we know is that there is a mythical planet earth and that the 13th tribe were headed for it that's what we know right. um and, and so and that this disease came along with them Yes, right. And so, yeah, the question of 
what how that relates to within the fictional world how that relates to our earth and our own biology and history and our own timelines and genetic makeup that's the question that it's sort of you know uh these are all subsets of that big question mm -hmm. um so which i don't yeah I, so we had in was it the last episode the first mention of of the final five of bringing okay you could have speculated but the first time they say out loud okay there really are five cylons left if you do the math um and now here we're getting another reference to like you know a more context of earth and the people that went there and what you know they might have brought with them or whatever so i feel like Okay, so we're not maybe not quite halfway through the third season, but getting towards the middle of the third season, I think you are starting to see them start to head towards an endgame of not just not just open-ended Cylons are chasing us and we don't know how long this will keep going. It could be a year, it could be 10 years, mm -hmm. but starting to kind of say, where could the story be going and what seeds can we plant that can be things that can lead us towards a resolution of a story. Um, sure. So it's not 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 answers to those questions, but bringing up okay, these are the kinds of questions you should be thinking about. Um, so yeah, I think I hadn't thought about that until you said it, but I think you can see that starting to happen now. And like in the space of two episodes, they've started to bring address questions like that mm -hmm. so um but yeah so we, you know so it's interesting too that so we get this um description of the disease and learn that it's you know it's, it's a virus that rodents carry like they carry lots of yeah. viruses like that's mm -hmm. it's not surprising to me. but it's also that thing where it's like like that's just something that people know and like even someone like baltar who's a scientist like it didn't occur to him that like this is just like a disease that some rodent had that some stowaway rodent that was never supposed to be on the ship but you know it's hard to keep rats off of ships so you know one got on there and you know apparently infected something or other um mm -hmm. and being a virus it survived in space for thousands of years and until it was mm -hmm. picked up you know again and so mm -hmm. You know, that idea of like, like, that's just something that's so common knowledge to people in how viruses mm -hmm. work and rodents, you know, are disgusting and, you know, dirty and whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, but like, it never occurs to Baltar to even say like, hey, yeah. this is what it could be. And, right. and it's certainly not something that occurs to Cylons because they've never dealt with it before. Like, this is apparently the first, like, right. medical outbreak that they've had um mm -hmm. and we've even seen before how like like maybe it's something with the engineering of their blood how it cured Rosalind's cancer right, right. so like right. right so they're immune to most things right um maybe up until this um um right so yeah uh I don't really have anything more to say about that, I guess. I just sort of thought I'd point that out. Um, 
so okay so you get uh coddle sort of giving the explanation of the disease and everything um so here's here's my here's my sort of problem with it and yeah and i don't know that i say problem because it's all it's all sort of iffy anyway so maybe maybe you can just sort of hand wave it away and say well it never fulfills but the whole idea if it's a virus Mm-hmm. which Cottle says it is like, it, it's not even like, I think it's a virus. It's like I identified the virus and I know what it is. And it's definitely mm-hmm. this virus. Um, I don't see how uploading to the resurrection ship could cause it to spread because mm-hmm. a virus is a physical thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like, like it doesn't rewire your passageways in your brain or anything. Like, I mean, it might for the physical person that it affects, but mm-hmm. it's not like, I don't know. It just, it seems odd to me to think that like a physical virus would have an effect on a body that's completely physically right. isolated away. It. They never specifically say this, but it starts to sound like a computer virus. Like, that it, like, would travel with whatever the electronic data is, you know, that, that beams that, like, you know, goes into, that downloads, you know, the data that's downloaded, their personality, their memories, all that into a new body. It sounds like this, this disease would, now, whether that makes that doesn't make sense on a real life, you know, how things work level. There's a kind of like poetic sense to that. Like as like Cylons, okay, they have, they have physical reactions to a physical virus, but they can also sort of spread it digitally. Like I kind of like that idea, but like it doesn't, I don't know that it, I'm sure it doesn't make sense in the way of like that you're meaning um yeah i i mean yes and i thought of that as well like they do seem to be making that sort of jump from like physical to metaphorical virus Mm -hmm. and even the way like they have the shot of like you said the suspense about whether or not athena will catch it like because she sticks her hands into like the information yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's so it's partly physical but it's partly not because it's the goo on her hand but it's also that she's plugged in she's exposed herself to the you know information that's stored about what's going on and so again that kind of crosses the line between like physical and abstract i think um sure I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm certainly I'm not defending it on any sort of like actual, you know, logical basis. I guess what I find hard to believe. So like, like, I can understand the Cylons or I I, I, again, to a certain extent, I can understand the Cylons being uh, afraid and like Mm -hmm. better and like they're ruthless. Better safe than sorry. Yeah, they're ruthless anyway. So like, who cares if they kill a whole base star full of Cylons Mm -hmm. without possibility of resurrection? Like, it's not the first time that we've seen them cut off resurrection from, you know, other Cylons. So that's, 
believable. Like, yeah, better mm-hmm. to be safe than sorry. Let's not even take the chance that it could be spread that way. I find it kind of hard to believe that, like, coddle and, like, mm-hmm. the humans in general, at least the more logical humans, mm-hmm. would think of that as a possibility. Like, sure. But anyway, all that to say that. But, well, well, but to your earlier point about it doesn't end up going anywhere. Um, you could also just say, well, we don't ever find out if it would right. have worked or not. <laughs> you know, like right. the, 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 the point is more Lee's idea and, and the, and the moral quandary of do we go ahead with yeah, it yeah. and not the physical and, like, and I don't r- result of that. I don't necessarily want to apply that. Like I found a plot hole because you're right. We don't ever find out if it is a plot hole or not. Cause they end up not using like it ends up being a dud and and you're right like i think the the more interesting conversation is around like the the ethics of you know genocide and uh you know execution of prisoners and you know whether what Hilo does is better or not than Mm -hmm. what the plan is and and all of those things like i think that's definitely um there so let's have that conversation then and i'll 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 acknowledge that this is just something i thought of and uh we never get it resolved and so maybe that's maybe that's actually the best course of action uh in the long run anyway because it leaves that open for debate um right right but yeah so it can't it can it can't be disproven one way or the other so Um, so lee has lee has the idea of like okay Clearly, the Cylons thought that it might be spreadable, yeah. you know, uh, via resurrection. So why don't we just jump into where we know there's a resurrection ship and execute the Cylons that definitely have this virus and uh, just wipe them all out at once? Yeah. Um, which, like, seems re- like if that's what you're attempting to do to wipe them out, like then that seems reasonable enough. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, like looking at it from a, it might work. And if it doesn't, we're not really in a worse position than we were before anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, other than you're revealing yourself to the Cylons and potentially could die. Um, right. But there's enough of a, enough of a possibility that it's a, a risk worth taking or whatever sure yeah from a practical standpoint it's hard to argue with um which of course sets up sort of the whole moral quandary so you get Hilo, who's who's the staunch opponent right like which you know not for the first time um no Hilo kind of is sort of mr conscience yeah well, um, right, and he—I mean—he's horrified, but you know, he—he he calls it genocide. Yeah. So that—so that's what right. we're about now, um, right? And says, you know, if we wipe out their race, we're no different than they are. And you—you you sort of have Rosalind being like, you know, in politician mode of, you know, I respectfully disagree. You know, mm-hmm. Cylon struck first, and you know, they pursued us across the galaxy and determined to wipe. And again, kind of like and your. On Anya, <laughs> is that their combined name? Anya and Xander. <laughs> um, like neither of them is really wrong, and neither of them mm-hmm. is really completely right either, right? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, Hilo's correct to say that, like, wiping out an entire race is exactly what they're trying to do. So how does that make them better? And Rosin's mm-hmm. like, well, we struck them first. But, you know, to Hilo's point, not all Cylons are bad, evil people, just like mm-hmm. not all vampires are apparently bad, evil people. So, you know... Um, you know, again, it's like you can sort of see both sides of the argument here. Mm-hmm. Uh, until maybe Hilo gets to the point of like they tried to live with us on New Caprica, right. and that's where right. like Rosalind right. and that's a, his naivete shows itself a little bit there. Yeah, you know, Rosalind yeah. sort of puts her foot down as like, yeah, well, first of all, you were never even on New Caprica, and right. second of all, that was not like living together. Uh, right. And actually, I want to point out that line because I like that because like we talked about like the split between the people who were on the ground and the people who weren't. But mostly what we've seen is Ty and like Starbuck as the representations sure. of the the vitriol of the people that were on the ground. But I like that this shows that it's not just that like Roslyn isn't executing collaborators. You know, she hasn't totally gone you know nuts with her trauma but she still was on new caprica and there's still a part of her that has very little patience for the notion that that wasn't a completely horrifying experience for the people who were there and kind of hilo is like you know again um you know, this great and noble person, but there are things about which he has no idea, mm-hmm. you know, like he doesn't realize what, you know, kind of the ignorance of what he's saying. So it kind of just reminds you of that divide, even between the people who are more reasonable than sure. some of the other ones. Sure. Um, uh, so yeah, no, that is his, that is his big blunder. Um, but yeah, like in general, and, I think like and 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 maybe maybe Adama and Rosalind know that it's not any different than the silence and they just don't care. But it it's hard to argue with his statement like you said of if you're going to wipe out a race, that's literally what the Cylons do and for whatever reasons you might have, it really doesn't it it just is perpetuating the same type of thing. Um, and we you might argue that it's worth it, but that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that we've seen that Hilo Hilo's actually more right than he knows. Like he's mm-hmm. he's thinking of Athena mm-hmm. and saying like not all Cylons are bad. Like one mm-hmm. one example of however right. many. Right. Cylons this are. is the one the one piece of proof that we have that they don't have to be like that. But yeah. but we've seen that actually some of those votes have been very, very close. So there's actually mm-hmm. a lot more dissent yeah. than even Hilo knows and is aware right. of. And right. so from our perspective, we might even be a little bit more critical of Roslyn because it's not even just like, okay, you're wiping out the entire race, but like, you know, it's like the, um, you know, uh, God saying to, was it Lot or whoever, like if you can find one, you know, Mm-hmm. holy person in you know right, right. Sodom and Gomorrah city, right, then I'll spare right, the cities right. like 
Like, you could almost see Rosalind saying, like, if you can find one, okay, well, fine. Athena, she's your wife. If you can find one more other than yeah. Athena. And, like, right. Hilo probably wouldn't be able to, but we know that there are more. So, like, right. Right. like there is that idea of, like, not just that Hilo's sort of, like, arguing, uh, you know, sort of pie-in-the-sky philosophical what-ifs. Like, mm-hmm. that, there actually are, there, there's a fairly decent contingent of Cylons who maybe don't fully agree with this whole, like, kill all the humans thing. Right, um, right. Right. And again, I mean, I, I know I just called Hilo naive and everything, but we saw, you know, the episode where, you know, Caprica and Boomer had this idealized revolution of love and peace and harmony and whether or not that's how new Caprica went, (laughs) we can at least know that that was at some distant point, the intention that the notion behind mutual, you know, uh, living together um, had at least originally some sort of good, you know, origin. Um, So, uh yeah like you said we probably can make that argument even a little bit better than Hilo can um but it's hard to find other examples because Hilo wasn't on New Caprica so he really didn't get to know any other Cylons besides Athena and the people that were on New Caprica are not really jumping to say all all the wonderful Cylon (laughs) friends that they made while they were there like that's not how it went um, and any who might have said that have been executed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, you right. know, Jammer. Or, or our, like, right, right. Like you or can imagine our, Jammer saying, you know what? There was this one eight who was pretty cool, you know, right. Or right. whatever. Or are, or are shunned into hiding, you know? Well, yeah. Um, like even if they weren't outright killed, they know better than to speak up in defense of the Cylons, you know? Um, Yeah. Or I knew Deanna before everyone realized she was a Cylon. She she was okay sometimes. <laughs> right, right. Um, right. So, uh, yeah. Um, the interesting part, though, and I, maybe this plays in even to your comparison of the New Capricans versus the Galacticans. Um Adama even sort of uh, issues his own uh, I don't know if responsibility is the right word but like he he again like here this is the question right is this is this actually biological warfare if the biology is the virus the physical virus mm-hmm. then the, you know we don't know if it will work or not, but Adama at least uses the possibility that it might be biological warfare to sort of require presidential authorization and, and mm-hmm. as Rosalind calls him out on it, to, to pass the buck to her. Um, right, right. And, and I don't think, like, I, you know, some people could read that, I suppose, as... Adama doesn't necessarily know that Rosalind would be willing. But I mean, I think we've seen enough of Rosalind to know that she can certainly be ruthless at times. Mm-hmm. Um, like with 
putting Leobin out the airlock or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, to the Cylons, you know, I don't, I think she at times is more willing than Adama. And I think she shows here again Mm -hmm. that that's the case, Mm -hmm. that she's more willing than Adama to, uh, you know, sort of go that extra step to, to exterminate them. And she gives him pretty much without hesitation that authorization. And so, yeah. Uh, Adama's hands are at least sort of ceremonial, ceremonially clean, uh, mm-hmm. in that respect. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, how do you read that? Like, is he siding with Hilo? in that instance, mm-hmm. like just maybe a little more politic about it. Um, mm-hmm. I think whether or not he is officially siding with Hilo, he certainly wants to, you know, well, and- like, or, or at least there's part of him that like, I think he's relieved when it works out the way he does what the way it does, you know, yes. like, that the decision was taken oh. out of their hands and and doesn't yeah end up going through with it is he is he convinced enough of the righteousness of Hilo's position to stand up for it with Roslyn not really that's a not doesn't seem to be the case like he's willing to be convinced um and there's also the terminology so Adama says posterity doesn't look too kindly on genocide and mm-hmm. Rosalind sort of has the semantic argument with them, right? Like, you're making the assumption that posterity will define this as genocide. Mm-hmm. And she's, yeah. I mean, if history is made by the winners, written by the winners, then there's right. a very good chance that it won't be defined as genocide. And she, right. I think, is is right to point that. Out. Well, I mean, she's... Right in the sense that it's good for her argument. She's technically right. Right, yeah, yeah. like it's it's a it's a valid argument to make that. Right. You know, future generations won't consider this genocide because it's a move to save the human race, and the Cylons are machines, and so you know, if they're not people, then you're not really killing them; you're just sort of deactivating them, or or mm-hmm. whatever. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Cylons are our right. mistake. We created them. Right. Right. And the, the the next line, at least there'll be someone alive to hate us for it. So even if they do define it as genocide, it's still... Still better than everyone. It's still better than, yeah. than everyone dying and that being the end of, you know, humanity losing and being wiped out is not an option. And so if we have to do hateful things to keep that from happening, then so be it. And, you know. Yeah. But, um, but that's why I think, so just even that use of the term genocide, mm-hmm. which is Hilo's term, right, is mm-hmm. sort of why I think Adama, you know, yeah. sides with him in, mm-hmm. in, in that sense. Um, yeah. No, I agree. So... Anyway. Yeah, at least I, ideally, ideologically he does. But again, he does, he takes, he passes the buck, but then he doesn't refuse Rosalind's order. He he carries right. it out. So, um. Yeah. And so, yeah. 
Yeah. So maybe it's more like, you know, I don't know. Hilo, Hilo sort of like, like feels it. Whereas Adama is sort of more intellectual about it. Like, mm. yes, here's the thing that maybe if you take it to its logical conclusion, this would be the right thing, but I'm being given an order. And as a military man, I have to follow the order. Whereas, I mean, not the first time Hilo's gone running down to a cell to stop or do whatever. In this case, he's going to kill someone, you know, before it was to stop someone from being killed or, you know, mm -hmm. raped or whatever. But, um, yeah, like, again, like Hilo, <laughs> Hilo seems to, when he has a, uh, action, uh, to take and, and he seems like, or he at least believes himself to be on the high ground. He, he goes ahead and takes that action without really mm -hmm. putting too much addition, too much extraneous thought into it. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll say, um, not no thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I don't, I think, I think yeah. he's very thoughtful about it, but I think, I think he's not, uh, paralyzed like some people are by indecision. Right. Um, right. And, and I think, you know, once he's made the decision and knows, scare, scare quotes, right, knows what is right, mm -hmm. uh, that he goes ahead and, and acts on that knowledge or belief. Um, right. Um, right. And for him, maybe more so than for Adama, what he knows to be right from his own self is everything. Um, orders, loyal as he is, orders don't factor into it when it comes down to it. You know, like if it's between his own conscience and the orders of his superiors, he's going with his conscience every time, mm -hmm. you know, and not unaware of consequences and willing to face consequences, but that's the way it is. He's not, you know, um, he's not really military through and through in that way, you know? Um, sure. Whereas in some ways, I feel like that's a contrast to what Athena says, because her thing about, like, when he's like, well, you're already a person, you don't have to prove that to anybody. And she kind of says, I have to prove it every day. Like, you know, kind of talking about privilege here like Hilo sure. has the privilege of his ideals you know and he he has the privilege of people knowing that he even if they don't agree with him that he is a good person and is doing what he thinks is right whereas for Athena any disobedience any breach of trust would be seen as like treachery you know, in a way that I don't think it would for Hilo. Like, Hilo gets away with this. Athena would never get away with this. Um, and so she has to just grit her teeth and follow orders because she doesn't have the option of doing what she thinks is right, you know, in this instance. So, um, you know, her humanity is never taken for granted. She has to prove it every single day by being the perfect soldier. Um, so, 
Um, so yeah, so Hilo kills the Cylons before they can be killed. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, he 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 uh, preempts their their execution by killing them. Right, right. He kills them um, early. So, and and you know, therefore, before they're within reach of the, uh, you know, the the resurrection ship. So this is mm-hmm. this is just bad design, right? So if I can criticize the Cylons' design, right? Mm. Like if you have some kind of storage media, mm-hmm. like wouldn't wouldn't you think? You'd want to make it so that, like, it would it would hold on to like whatever information needs to be saved until, like, a backup. Yeah, of some yeah. Battery. Like, may, like maybe there's like a tiny little battery in there somewhere that just like, like until it it triggers a, you know, signal or something to the resurrection ship, and then like when it's within range, it like dumps it. You know, for that. I don't know. I just just spouting out there. Um. Sounds like a good idea that they didn't think of. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, just thinking too, like even how how much uh, in the last 10 years or however long, like when did this episode air? Like 2000? 10 years ago? Yeah. Six or seven. Something like that. Or yeah, whenever. Um, yeah. Like, like there's been a lot of little advancements like that, I think. So maybe. Sure. Maybe it just was uh, not quite there yet. Um, yeah. But yeah, Hilo, Hilo foils the plan. Oh, uh, 2006. Okay. That's a long time ago. So, yeah, 11 or almost 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Hilo foils the plan. And, uh, and like you said, like Adama doesn't really seem too keen on investigating what happened. It's like, oh. Man, all the Cylons are dead. Well, all right. I guess yeah. guess we'll have to move on. <laughs> and Rosalind kind of wants blood, right? She's looking for yep. Who, How convenient. Who who uh, who did yeah. this and and why and you know who's going to take the fall for it? But uh, yeah. Adama kind of puts his foot down and, and is like, nope. There's there's more to be uh, done than than put our efforts into that. So. Yeah, I don't, right. I mean... Yeah, he's kind of like, woof, that, that was a close call. All right, moving on. No investigations. Yeah. The old the old Adama um, favoritism comes back. And I, I don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing, but, you know, his his selective forgiveness sure. for, for um, people and actions that he quietly agrees with, <laughs> you know? Sure. And, um, and also, I mean... And it, there's a certain inevitability because, like, what are they going to do? Like, the the Cylons are dead. Like, they're they're not mm-hmm. going to get more Cylons who are sick and be able mm-hmm. to execute them, right? All the all the Cylons right. who were sick were in that right. thing. So, right, you know, you're not going to hang around here and and try, like the whole point of you know uh, sort of calling to the Cylons was to be able to kill these people here but like they're not like they can't do that anymore so there's no point hanging around and Mm -hmm. i mean for all of his flaws and 
the times that he doesn't listen to military orders. Hilo's actually a really good pilot and captain mm-hmm. and all of that. So, you know, what are you going to like put one of your best right. soldiers and, and again, despite maybe a few instances, like most trustworthy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, officers in, in the brig for, you know, yeah, like you say, kind of what Adama agrees with anyway. So like, right. And it's, you know, it's a military disobeyal, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's uh, not really something that Rosalind can enforce because, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't have like a, whatever the colonial equivalent of the FBI would be, right? So it's mm-hmm. just like, she's got to kind of defer to Adama there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. So yeah, yes. So Hilo Hilo does what he thinks is right, and, and it kind of works out for him. Um. Yeah. Although I mean, he and he and Athena are kind of freaked out at yeah. the end there, right? So he's like, "Seems like always there's always someone coming for us." Uh, I'm not a traitor. I love my people. I love the ship. Besides you, the first thing I want to see on any morning are the lights in the CIC. I did what I thought was right. If it was a mistake, fine, I can live with that. It's you I can't live without. And, you know, and then there's declarations of love and yada, yada, yada. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're like, they're expecting to get hauled away at any moment. So, you know, I mean, we see that Adama's not going to, you know, be calling any investigation. But they're they're kind of freaked out by it. Yeah. Um, right prepared for that and, yeah and yeah i mean who knows what implications may come down the line from that but mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean at the end so we get adama and Roslyn again sort of talking through the implications of this right and it's you know like the so there's the exposition about you know oh this is the same strain of the virus that was from 3,000 years ago and so obviously the people from Earth who left the beacon which man why'd they put the first beacon out so far or maybe there were other beacons but they just never found them or something but it's just one of those things where it's like man it's taking you how how many years to find the first beacon Um, right right wouldn't you think if you were going across you know multiple galaxies you'd have them like spread maybe a little or you know not spread, but like, you know, uh, condensed, like in maybe a little tighter pattern or something. Um, well, and it's like, w- they didn't really know where they were going before. Like, up right. Until, they were just like jumping guess, around. Right. So I guess it's really only with this like lion's head that, that Baltar discovered in his desperation to get away from the Cylons. He, he magics up, an actual route to earth that works, you know? And so they actually have a real, you know, a real trail now and they're rewarded with, with, you know, this beacon, which actually seems to have been left behind. So it kind of verifies that they are headed in the right direction and everything. Sure. But so are the silence. But so are the silence. Right. Uh, right. So yes, again, Rather than a chase scenario, it becomes more like 
an arms race of, you know, right. who's going to, who's going to get there first. Yep. And, and how will it go down? And now the Galactica knows that Baltar is still alive too. Yes. Right. Which, which they didn't know before. Which, I mean, literally everybody else in the galaxy hates him. Like yep. the Cylons all hate him. Right. The, the fleet, anyone who like remembers he, that he was president at one time or another, which is like everyone. Yeah. Everybody. Um, yeah. You know, also hates him. <laughs> right. Uh, right. So yeah, it's not, not looking not, good. Not a for, good time to be Baltar. Baltar. Yeah. No, no. All around, not a great time to be Baltar. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, with all of that said, we'll uh, we'll be back to talk some more about um, the rest of well, the next phase, I guess, in the trip to Earth or the search mm -hmm. for Earth, um, and some Angel with uh, adult Connor, or like late teenagerish Connor. Right. Yes. Uh, so yeah. All right, cool. Sounds good. See you then. Mm -hmm.